Hey, how many of you have ever seen the movie Rocky? Let me see. Rocky, right? 1976, it came out. And so it's still, it's still a pretty good show. Anybody seen Rocky 2? Right? Rocky 3? Rocky 4? There's like seven Rockies. Anybody see like five or more Rockies? Seriously, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you do that to yourselves? I want to show you a clip from Rocky 2. It's kind of the iconic clip. So go ahead and play that. Right? The music, if you weren't awake coming in, you should feel a little adrenaline moving right now. Right? You should want to go out jogging. You should want to punch somebody. Keep that to yourself. So this is Rocky, and previously he couldn't, he couldn't run. He, he was tired and, and slow and out of shape, and this is his kind of coming back moment. So he's running through the streets of Philadelphia in his designer sweatsuit and red headband. And, and everybody knows him and people are cheering and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And at this point, children start following Rocky. He's kind of the Pied Piper of the boxing world. And uh, you know how he does. And more children start following Rocky, which is great. And as he dangerously runs down the middle of a Philadelphia street, and I'm not sure what's more troublesome, the fact that these kids' parents are nowhere to be found, or that one of the greatest boxers in the world can't distance himself from these children. Right? Oh, that's what makes you a champion, bench jumping. Now, as you can see, all of the children in the greater Philadelphia area are now following Rocky. Where, oh, where are their parents? See that kid trying to stay in the frame longer. Look at the cars, too. 1979. It's a beautiful thing. See, he's, run, he's running for all he's worth. All the kids are right there. It's kind of crazy, right? Here he goes. Now, this is what I want you to see. This is why we watch this clip. This is the art museum in Philly, and I've actually run up these steps a bunch of times and embarrassed myself at the top, just like Rocky did. He runs up here, and he, he dances a little bit. He screams something we can't understand, but that's most of his dialogue you can't really understand. Punches the air a few times, but here's what I want you to see. Right here. How many of you remember this kid in the blue coat from the movie? That's me. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> it's not. It's not me. It's not me at all. But you're telling me you don't remember this kid from the movie? Right. Well, neither did I. And, and I don't even have a great story to tell you that, like, he grew up to be somebody famous. He's just a regular kid in this movie. But I bet every time that he watches this movie, this is his favorite part, right? And I bet when it first came out, he, you know took the parents and the brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and cousins and the mailman and dragged him to the theater. And he's like, watch this, watch this, watch this. Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, watch this. <gasps> right? And his mom was so proud. You're going to grow up to be a great little actor someday. And pinched his cheek and it was awesome. Now, here's the deal. What if, what if this little guy here started walking around saying, hey, I'm starring in a movie. And you'd be like, oh, really? Tell me about that. Yeah, I'm starring in a movie. It's called Rocky. 
Oh, really? And you're the star? Yeah, no, seriously, I'm starring in a movie called Rocky. And you'd be like, wait a second, I I saw the movie. That movie isn't about you. No, I'm the star. Well, you'd say, uh, the first movie, he fights Apollo. The second movie, Rocky actually beats Apollo. The third movie, Rocky fights Mr. T, who's now a televangelist. (laughs) It's just awesome, right? (laughs) I pity the fool. And he's like, conversion rates are going through the roof, right? Rocky Four, he fights the Russian. Rocky Five, he, well, I didn't watch. I think he fights old age in Rocky Five. I'm not exactly sure, right? But what if this little guy who was so excited to be there, he's like, no, I'm the star of this movie. You'd have to tell him the one word that he needs to hear. Extra. That you're, you're an extra. You're not the star of the movie. You got to be close to the star. You got to cheer the star. You got to run up the steps with the star. You had a scene in the movie, but you're not the star of the movie. And this is the picture I want to leave with us. I want us to think about this for a minute because I think oftentimes we run around like we're the star of this movie. That somewhere along the line, we got this idea that, listen, all of this is about us. All of this around us, it's about us. We're the star of the movie. And we'd be just as delusional as that kid would be if we continue to think along those lines. And so we need a gentle reminder that it's not about us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them this. Get over yourself. Come on. Yeah. Do this. Tell them it's not about you. Yeah. Felt good, didn't it? (laughs) Something liberating about that. Some of you are in here going, man, I wish I was sitting over there by them. They need to hear that from me, right? But it's not. It's not about us. We're not the stars of the movie. You know, when we grab the Bible, we we read this. In the beginning, who? Did what? Created the heavens and the earth, right? What were you doing? (laughs) Right? And then he creates the sun and the moon and the stars and trees and plants and animals. And then he creates man and, and whoa, man, and he puts them in this garden. And he has a relationship with them. And then the creatures that he creates start rebelling against him. And in this story, in this script, we read about all of these amazing characters. We read about Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and all of these great men and women, but the movie isn't about them. You see, the movie's about God, and all along, God is saying, watch what I'm going to do here. Watch what I'm going to do here. I'm going to show you my heart to win yours back. But the people keep rebelling against him. And so he says, watch this. I'm going to show you the greatest act of love ever. I'm going to send my one and only son, and he's going to live as a man, and he's going to die on the cross so that you can have a way of coming back to me. And if you put your faith in him, if you believe in my son, if you believe in Jesus, then you can have a relationship with me, the God who created all of this. And Jesus defeated death, and so I don't want you to have to fear that. And then as we continue along in this story, we find all of these people coming in contact with Jesus and walking away with their lives changed forever. And when you get to the end of this story, 
You read everything that was ever created gathering around the throne of God and worshiping him and giving him glory. So let me ask you this question. At what point did this movie become about you? You see, it's not about us. The movie isn't about us. It's all for the glory of God. Now, honestly, I can see why we think that we're the stars of this movie. And and I know, honestly, I wrestle with this as well. Because sometimes I think I'm the star of the movie. And the reason I think that is because, quite honestly, I'm in every scene. (laughs) Right? And the camera seems to follow me around a lot because everywhere I go, I'm the center of this movie. And all of you are extras in my movie. You're doing a great job. And I appreciate it. Right? But, but you can see how we think that because we're kind of at the center of our worlds. But there is no Brian movie. And my scene is just a little scene in the greater movie. It's about God. It's not about me. And you see, when we try and stand up, when we try and take the spotlight, when we try and get center stage, when we think the movie is about us, that's when things go bad. That's when life gets dangerous. That's when the train goes off the tracks. When we begin to take this posture about, hey, listen, I'm the star of this movie. It's about me. We know in James chapter 4, God says he opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. God will get your attention when you try and steal his glory. But so often we try and steal his glory. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Now, I don't know, sometimes I read Bible verses and it just strikes me as attitude. Like this verse, and not in a bad way, but this verse just comes across like attitude. Like he's like, I am the Lord, that is my name. Boom. Deal. What are you gonna do about that? I will not give my glory to anyone else. Isaiah 6 It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if the whole earth is full of the glory of God, that means there isn't room for our own glory. Because it's full of his glory. It's all about him. It's all about the glory of God. And when we try and get that glory, God will get our attention. There's a great story in Daniel chapter 4 about King Nebuchadnezzar. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn there. If you want to grab a Bible out of the pew, it's on page 1390. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He doesn't know what the dream means. And so he calls his wise guys to himself and he says, tell me what this means and nobody can do it. There's only one guy that can do it. His name's Daniel. So Daniel comes, and the king tells him the dream, and and Daniel gets the interpretation, but he's afraid to tell the king because it's not good news. As a matter of fact, Daniel says, I wish this was news for someone else and not you. As a matter of fact, I'm afraid to tell you, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, no, feel free. You can tell me. You'll be safe. And so Daniel says, here's the deal. This dream means that God is going to bring you down low that you are going to be humbled by God, he says, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That God is going to humble you until you come to this realization that it's not about you, that God is the star of this movie, that he does what he pleases. You're not running the show. 
And you need to pay attention. As a matter of fact, in verse 27, Daniel gives him this warning. He says, please, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. It's like you had this dream. You have this chance. It's not about you. You need to start being kind to other people. You need to stop doing these bad things that you're doing. Maybe God will forgive. Maybe God will continue to prosper your kingdom. Get with it. And yet, as we read, Nebuchadnezzar continues to walk around like he's the star of the movie. Verse 29 says, 12 months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. 12 months later. There's a gap of time between this dream and and this interpretation of this dream. You know, and, and maybe the first day that he heard it, he was just like, oh man, that's bad. I, I really need to get my act together. Okay, I'm gonna start humbling myself. I'm gonna start doing some of these other things. And then maybe a week passed, and then maybe a month passed. And, you know, halfway through the year, you're back to being the star of the movie again. 12 months later, you're probably not even thinking about this dream that you had. But as he looked across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Right? You see him walking around on the roof, and his thumb is hitched behind his suspenders, his chest is puffed out, and he's like, look at this place. I did this. I did all of this. And and literally translated, he says, I did this for my own glory. I did this so people would give me glory. I did it because I'm glorious. I did it because it's all about me. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You'll live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn, again, until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of this world, until you learn that God is God. And at that same hour, The judgment was fulfilled. I don't know what kind of switch flipped in Nebuchadnezzar, but he lost his senses, right? It says he was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like bird claws. And you read that and you're like, don't mess with God, right? God is going to get your attention, You see, it's dangerous for us to live like we're the star of the movie because God's not gonna share his glory with anyone. It's dangerous for us to live in such a way where we're trying to steal the glory of God. Nebuchadnezzar comes around. It says, after this time had passed, he looked up to heaven and his sanity returned. And what does he do? He praises and worships the Most High. He says this, his rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? He says, all his acts are just and true. He is able to humble the proud. That he came to his senses and he was like, man, I walked around for so long thinking I was the star of this movie didn't exactly work out. You see, God will get our attention. Now listen, we aren't kings of nations. We will never be royals. But we do struggle 
with the same things that he struggled with. We struggle with pride. We struggle with selfishness. We struggle with authority. We know that pride can come and creep in. Pride actually, in the New Testament, the word used for pride comes from the word smoke, which is interesting, but it literally means to be wrapped in smoke, which has a couple different nuances. One is that there's really no substance to it, right? It's boastful, but there's no substance. And the other is that it blurs your vision. It clouds your vision. And so you walk around kind of wrapped in smoke when you walk around prideful. It's that disease that the head swells, but the brain shrinks, right? C.S. Lewis says it's like a telescope turned backwards that magnifies the self and makes the heavens look small. And we walk around this way, and guess what? It damages our relationship with Jesus when we think that we're the star. I read recently that uh, the rapper and composer and entrepreneur Jay-Z sometimes refers to himself as Hova from Jehovah, because he considers himself the God and Savior of rap music, it says. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, no. He's pulling a Nebuchadnezzar. Like, he can't do that. But it's not just Nebuchadnezzar. It's not just Jay-Z. It's all of us, right? All of us can get our vision clouded. All of us can think that we're the center. Imagine this little kid running up the steps in this Rocky movie and everybody's chanting, Rocky, Rocky, and he gets to the top of the steps and he goes, stop. Everyone, look at me. I got a new jacket. (laughs) Right? What's the director of the movie going to do? Cut. Thank you for coming. I don't know where your parents are. I don't know where any of these parents are, but go home. Right? It just doesn't fit in the movie because the movie's about Rocky, but I don't know how many times in my life I've said, stop, look at me. And I might not have said it out loud, but I was thinking it because that pride crept in and I wanted to be that star of the movie and so I wanted people to notice me for doing certain things and I wanted to be put closer to the front of the line I wanted to be given some of these special privileges because, quite frankly, listen, I'm the star of the movie. But we can't live that way. I want to give you just a couple ways that that we know that we're living like the star of the movie. A, A couple things for us that are warning signs. The first one's this. When you think you're the star and you want Jesus to be the best supporting actor... Huge danger sign. And what I mean by that is this. When you pursue Jesus for the things that he can do for you that make your life nice and convenient and easy, okay? There are certain things that that Jesus does for us that we cannot do for ourselves, okay? But when your relationship is based on Jesus coming alongside of you and making everything nice, right? That's a dangerous place to be. Because you begin asking him for things, and and some of the things we ask Jesus for are very deep things, and some of the things we ask Jesus for are very shallow things, but not all of those things are going to happen in our worlds. And when you pursue Jesus just so that he can prop you up and make you the star of the movie, and those things don't happen, you become disillusioned with him. You have this idea, well, he's not that great, he doesn't do all this stuff for me, 
right? Have you ever thought that? Well, either he's not kind or he's just not powerful enough to do these things. And you begin to walk away. Really, the reality is you want Jesus to be more like Santa Claus. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about Santa for just a second. I mean, aside from the mildly creepy fact that he sees you when you're sleeping (laughs) and he knows when you're awake, Santa comes along, what, and he gives you gifts, and all you have to do is be good for goodness sake, and that's kind of great. You give him cookies, he gives you presents. It's a great relationship, right? You don't have to really connect with him. You just want what he has to offer to make your life better. I think in a lot of ways, we want Jesus to be that way. We want Jesus to fit the mold of Santa. We want the blessings. We want him to come alongside. It's, it's his job to be the best supporting actor to me, the star in this movie. I think a good way to check yourself on this is to think about the things that you pray. You can tell a lot about your relationship with Jesus by thinking about the things that you pray. So take a minute, just in your mind, think about, run through some of the prayers that you pray. I mean, what's your prayer life like? Is it like, okay, dear God, thanks for this day. I pray that you would bless this. Pray that you would provide this. I pray that you would help this. I pray that my team wins the bowl game that happens tomorrow because they need to beat Texas. I pray that all those things, right? I mean, what, what is it that you want from Jesus? Do you want him to provide for you and to alleviate discomfort in your life? Is that why you go to him? I pray for my girls every night before they go to bed, and several years ago, God really convicted me about the things that I was praying for my girls. Now, I I was praying these things in absolute sincerity, but what God was speaking to me was that I am teaching my children how to pray when I pray for them. I am teaching them what to pray for. I'm teaching them what things are important. And I'm in a lot of ways, teaching them a theology of who God is by how I was praying. And as I was kind of tracking through the things I was praying for my girls, I was praying things like bless and protect and grow us strong and keep us safe and provide. And and all of these things are okay. All of these things are good things. But as I looked at my prayers, my prayers had so much selfishness and very little submission. I was praying a lot like I was the star of the movie and I wanted Jesus to be the best supporting actor and come alongside and make things good. And I realized my kids were catching on to this message. And so I still pray for my kids that God would have his hand a blessing upon them, that he would protect them. But I also try and pray submission prayers. I try and pray, God, help us to live for you and learn from you and love you. And I pray the things that we think and say and do would be pleasing to you. And I pray that our actions make you smile. And I I pray that we're filled with the fruit of your spirit. And we go through all nine of those. I pray that you would help us to serve you because it's about you. I don't want you to just come alongside and selfishly ask you for everything. I want to submit to you. Do we act that way? Do we act like we're the star and Jesus is the best supporting actor? A second warning sign I want to give you is is this. When your voice carries more weight than the voice of God, you're in a dangerous place. 
when your voice carries more weight. You see, oftentimes we want to have the final say in things. We, we read scripture, we understand that there's great principles in scripture, but when it really comes down to it, I will make the final decisions for my life. And if I want the life that I want to live, then I have to decide things in a certain way. And, and I will find the freedom that I want in my life when I act a certain way. And so I then become the ultimate authority. I take that place in the spotlight and I put God kind of just out of the spotlight. But the reality is this. You can't find true freedom if you are living your life as the authority. You can't find true freedom if you live your life as the ultimate authority. It doesn't work that way. Let me give you a scenario. Let's talk about those pesky traffic laws, for instance. Let's say one day you decide, I'm sick of traffic laws, right? Traffic laws are for the extras in my movie, not for the star, right? And so you say, speed limit, who needs it? I'm going as fast as I can. Stop signs, they're just suggestions. Red lights, they make me sad. And so I'm not gonna obey them, right? Will you have more or less freedom at the end of this little experiment, <laughs> right? You'll have less freedom. By living as if you were the authority, you will have less freedom. You see, in Genesis chapter three, Satan comes along to Adam and Eve and he says, listen, you're not truly free. You're not truly free because there's this rule in place and God's holding out on you. And for you to be the person that you need to be, for you to just be the person that you were created to be, you need to disobey this. And he convinced them that that was the case. So to get absolute freedom, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And their premise was something like this, rebellion brings freedom. Now, I don't think we'd ever word it that way because I think it sounds pretty harsh, right? Rebellion brings freedom. I don't know if we'd word it that way, but I think oftentimes we live it that way. We believe that that's the case. And so when I talk to students, they say, oh, well, you know, I'll date whoever I want to date until their heart gets broken, until they cross lines that they shouldn't have crossed. Or I'll stay out as late as I want to stay out until they get grounded. But it's not just students, it's all of us. I'll live the way that I wanna live. I'll do the things that I wanna do. There's certain corners that I will cut. There's certain ways that I will cheat the system because it's in my best interest, but it's not. Those things do not bring freedom. You see, Adam and Eve believed that they could find freedom by doing things that were forbidden. And the result of that was that they lost their freedom. Same as us. You see, when we think we're the star, when our voice carries more weight than the voice of God, then we start stepping out and doing these things, thinking, okay, I'm gonna take hold of that. I'm gonna grab onto this freedom. But we can't live that way. You don't find true freedom that way. The truth is this. You will never be more free than when you are living under the authority of God. Maximum freedom is found under the authority of God. God didn't come and just give us a bunch of rules to confine us. He gave us rules so that there's freedom. He put a fence around the yard so that we could run around and play without falling over the cliff. He came so that we could be free. 
When he's the star of the movie, when he's in the center, that's when we are most free. I talk to a lot of students who tell me, I can't wait to get out of the house so that I can be free. And I know a lot of adults that can't wait to get back into the house. (laughs) I wish I was living under my parents' rule. Because we know that when you get out of the house, you're free to get a job. You're free to pay the bills. (laughs) You're free to worry about all those things, right? You see, when God's the star, when we're the best supporting actor, that's when we're most free. And so our voice can't, have more authority than his. This is the time of year that we make New Year's resolutions, and these are oftentimes things that last through at least mid-January about exercising and eating right and all of those pesky habits. I want to add maybe two New Year's resolutions to your list, two things that maybe you could grab a hold of, two things to help us remember that we're not the star of this movie. The first is this, surrender. We need to daily surrender to God. It just needs to be what we do. I don't know if it's it's part of your prayer life in the morning. I try and pray every morning, Jesus, today I surrender to you. I surrender my thoughts, my words, my actions, and my interactions because I know it's about you, not me. I I want to have that sense every day that it's about God. Maybe the prayer that you pray is from Matthew 6.10, May your kingdom come. May your will be done. One of those New Year's resolutions that would change us is if we understood this surrender. Daily surrender. Every day I surrender to you. The second one I'd add to your list is this, serve. We gotta be serving somewhere. A great way to take the focus off of ourselves, a great way for us to understand that it's not all about us is to put others in front of us in line. And we know that that Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, it's like you're serving me. And so that's how we do. We serve him that way. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. We need to find places that we're plugging in, that we're serving, that we're showing ourselves and God that it's not about us, that we're putting other people's needs before our own. So we surrender to him and we serve other people for the glory of God. Wynton Marcellus is a jazz trumpeter. He's one of the best in the world. And uh, he learned a technique at one point called circular breathing. And it's where you breathe through your nose and you keep air in your cheeks so that you can continuously hold a note. Now, you can go online and learn how to do this. I actually watched a YouTube video like all the professional musicians do. And I practice, 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 and I still can't do it. But what he does is he plays these songs where he never takes a breath. You don't ever hear him pause to breathe in. As a matter of fact, I want to play this song for you. It's it's called Perpetual Motion. It was written for the violin, but he's playing it on the trumpet. Listen to this real quick. This is him circular breathing. Now, I don't know about you, when I listen to something like this, it makes me short of breath. I'm like, <gasps> Now, the song is four and a half minutes long. It all sounds like this. It's amazing. It just keeps going, going, and going. 
And he says basically he can do this until his fingers fell off because he can keep that note going. All right, that's good. <gasps> now his dad came to him after he'd been doing this for a while and he said, Winton, you need to stop. And he's like, what? It's not hurting me. It's great. Everybody loves it when I do this. It's so popular. And his dad said, here's the deal. When you do that, it becomes about you and not about the music. When you do that, people notice what you're doing and they don't hear the song that is playing. And Winton, the music is more important than you are. And he said, okay, I'll stop. Because the music is more important. The song that God is writing is more important. Now, we have roles to play, and they're important roles, and what God calls us to do is important, but it's not about us. What God calls us to do is to give him glory. It's all about him. We get to run up the steps. We get to cheer his name in our scene. But in the end, we'll all stand around his throne and give him the glory. It's about him. And that should change the way that we live. That should change what we value. That should change how we view our possessions. That should change how we give. Because it's for his glory and not ours.